Every November, we celebrate the men and women who volunteer to risk everything in defense of the American flag and the people that flag represents. One of these veterans is Melissa Stockwell, who lost her left leg in an IED attack in Iraq in 2004. And while that attack ended her military service, it marked the beginning of a new journey representing America, this time as an athlete. I'm forever a proud soldier, forever very proud of how I lost my leg, and that didn't change my outlook on being a, a proud American. And then I think going on to, you know, the, the Paralympic Games and wearing, still wearing the Team USA uniform, but it's it's worn in a different way where I'm representing my country on the world's biggest athletic stage, but it's showing the world, you know, how much ability is in a disability. It's showing the world that a lot of veterans that come back and, you know, we're not sitting in a dark room with the lights off. We are actually out there doing things that we want to do and that our life can still be fuller even though we've lost some part, part of ourselves, We'll talk about the incredible determination and endless love of country the service women and men bring to America. And we'll hear about how it felt to recite the Pledge of Allegiance live on national television with every living president looking on from just a few feet away. I'm Andrew Kaufman, and this is The Strategist, presented by the George L. B. Bush Presidential Center. November 11th is Veterans Day, so it only makes sense that we would have on one of the remarkable people that has served our nation. U.S. Army 2nd Lieutenant Melissa Stockwell is the first female to have lost a limb in active duty, and she is the author of a new book that just came out in July, The Power of Choice, My Journey from Wounded Warrior to World Champion. We know her as one of our Team 43 folks. She rode the W100 mountain bike ride and was painted by President Bush in Portraits of Courage. And, oh yeah, she's an Olympic triathlete. So, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be on. Thank you. And in the co-host chair today is Colonel Matt Amidon, Director of the Military Service Initiative at the Bush Institute. Matt, we know you're a Marine, so try to keep the interbranch rivalry at a minimum, if you don't mind. <laughs> I promise to do that. We'll hang in for now. <laughs> honored to be here. And, Melissa, it's been too long. And, again, great to, great to hear your voice. Yes, you too. So every veteran has a unique story of their service. Um, There's no single, this is what a service member goes through. Um, And Melissa, you're no different. So can you talk about what made you join the military and what your experience was once you got there and, and, you know, start from the beginning? Yeah. Um, You're absolutely correct. Every veteran has their own unique story. And um, I feel like my answer to why I joined the military is pretty short and sweet. Um, I love our country. I learned from a young age how lucky we are to live here and really wanted to give back. And when I saw, you know, when I was young and I saw military personnel, their uniform on, they had the flag patch on their shoulder. I was like, hey, mom and dad, when I grew up, I'm going to be in the army. And they were kind of like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't come from a military family. So it was like very unknown, this whole unknown territory. But um, I went out to the university in Colorado, um, made made that the dream a reality when I joined the ROTC program there. And then I was commissioned as a second lieutenant in 2002. And then just um, a few short years later was deployed over to Iraq as part of the first cavalry division. I was part of the transportation corps and we were going to be there for, for a year. We left in March of 2004. We're going to be over there till March of 2005, but my deployment was cut um, very short because three weeks in 
on just a routine convoy through central Baghdad. My vehicle was struck by a roadside bomb, which to make what could be a long story pretty short, um, the loss of my left leg above the knee. So um, went to Walter Reed and kind of the story continues from there. But um, I'd like to say my time in the military was was short, but it was very eventful. We know you well, Melissa. And when faced with that challenge, of course, you you obviously focused a lot of resilience and you just kept pushing forward and driving on, which is revealed today in your tremendous accomplishments. But I think, you know, when you point back to this, I don't know, this concept of wanting to pay it forward or do something or, or commit to your country, which I think is sort of resident with that within everyone who wears the cloth that it's revealed in, you know, the U S flag meaning so much to us, you know, as, as part of this nation meaning so much to us, but in and through your your injury and your recovery and your continued leadership, has that meaning changed over time? Has it gotten deeper? You know, what does being a veteran mean to you today, as opposed to how it, what it meant yesterday? Uh, it's mm-hmm. been very interesting times in our country, and and you know we're believers that veterans can really take the lead on addressing a lot of the the issues our country faces. So a long winded question, but would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it has changed. You know, I so. Wearing the the military uniform, you know, going to fight for our country and defend our our country and the freedoms we have here and losing a leg doing that. um, It never, you know, it it never was like, oh, I wish I wouldn't. I'm forever a proud soldier, forever very proud of how I lost my leg. And that didn't change my outlook on being a, a proud American. And then I think going on to, you know, the the Paralympic Games and wearing still wearing the team USA uniform, but it's, it's worn in a different way where I'm representing my country on the world's biggest athletic stage, but it's showing the world, you know, how much ability is in a disability. It's showing the world that a lot of veterans that come back and, you know, we're not sitting in a dark room with the lights off. We are actually out there doing things that we want to do and that our life can still be fuller, even though we've lost some part, part of ourselves. Um, and I think, you know, we're going through tough times in America right now. I think that's a very true statement that I, I imagine anybody would agree with. And, you know, I look at, I think, choosing to believe like in the American people, I think it's, you know, the, the country, I still am very, very much a patriot, love America, but I've, I, I'm choosing to believe in, in the good of America as well, because I think that there is so much good. We focus on the bad, but there is so much good out there. So it's almost like my love of country started out wanting to serve and protect it, represent it, which I still hope to do. And then just to believing in the American people, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so in reading your book, The Power of Choice, one of the themes that emerges is, is that really from your early days, you were, you were always pushing yourself to the limits at, at every step from um, early life to end the service to post-service. Um, and of course, that's when we met you during the W100K bike ride, which is a pretty, pretty tough ride. Um, so can you talk about the importance of sport when, in, during the recovery process of a vet that's, that's been wounded? Sport, I, I mean, I honestly think that without sport, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today, obviously, but it, it truly gave me my life back. I mean, it, you know, I'd lay in my hospital bed at Walter Reed and I, I, I accepted the loss of my leg very early on. I looked around at Walter Reed. I saw other soldiers that were missing multiple limbs. They had traumatic brain injuries. They had lost their eyesight. So I really thought of myself as one of, of the lucky ones kind of from the beginning. And then as soon as I realized that 
I could still, I, I grew up being an athlete. I would lay in that hospital bed and think about, can I still be an athlete? Of course, before that came, I had to learn to, could I be independent? Would I ever, you know, walk on my own? Could I run again? And those little things happened, you know, step by step. But as soon as I learned to walk again, it was like, okay, how can I be an athlete again? And taking advantage of at all at all the military hospitals. So I was at Walter Reed, but I, I can imagine it at Brook Army Medical Center at Balboa. At, at all of them, there's these organizations, and they want you to get. They invite you to do all these things that you think are, are crazy. You know, I just lost my leg. How how am I going to go ski? What do you mean I'm going to go ride a bike? And but they invite you to do these events, and they get you out of your hospital room. They get you out doing things that you never thought you'd do with sometimes with two legs, and here you are doing it with one leg, and it the self-confidence, the self-worth, I mean, the camaraderie. I mean, I think one of my favorite moments was, um, there was a program called the Vail Veteran Ski Program in Vail, Colorado. And it's a week-long program and you get there and it's, it's a smaller program, maybe 20 wounded veterans, but none of us have skied since our injury. And we're all kind of wondering what's going to happen on that week. And first, the first day or two, you're on the bunny slope and you all see each other. By the end of the week, you go to the bottom of the hill and there are just wheelchairs and prosthetics lined up. And it's amazing because that means that those, that they are now up on the slopes and you, you can't see them. So they have they have transitioned their way to the top of the mountain and going down. And I mean, I think you come home from events like that, realizing, okay, like showing you the, showing you the things you can still do instead of focusing on the things you can't do anymore and that your life can still be very full. So yes, I proudly live a life of sports. I think it's anybody should do it. You don't have to be a Paralympian or an Olympian. You can just go out and play basketball with your kids in the driveway, go on a bike ride with your family, whatever it may be. But being active is, is so important. Good advice. That's probably even more important now while we're still in a pandemic and lifestyles are adjusted. We're not in our usual routines, whatever that routine might be. And, and things are different, right? Oh, you have to. It's like, it's just the mental, even, I mean, you know, I think especially right now, given the um, election timeline, we're all kind of glued to the election coverage. But yesterday I got out, went on a run, didn't bring my phone. Obviously I'm not by the TV or the coverage. And it was just so, I felt so good about it. Like it just kind of renewed, you know, I got back in, kind of took a deep breath and it was just really good to do. (laughs) So yes, pandemic, election coverage, whatever it may be, like find that time. I know we all stress about there's not enough time in the day, but it's, it's that important that you find the time, whether it's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, beginning of the day, end of the day, whatever it is, get out there and do something. You, you you have to detach now and again. It's good for the soul. But I, I really appreciated what you said, Melissa, about, I guess there's this, I don't know, bias or narrative about disabled populations. And, and you're, you know, what you're really revealing is through the, the Paralympics and things like that is the incredible ability within that which is identified as disabled. Do you think we're, we're changing the, the bias and the sort of the opinion that it's not disabled at all and it needs to change? Are we making headway in that regard as it relates to both those who are physically injured and those in the invisible wounds? I I do think that there has been progress made. I think, you know, I think the whole slogan, it's okay to not be okay. I mean, I think that can relate to anybody in, in, in the nation, in the world, but especially those that do suffer from, um, you know, PTS or that high anxiety, like it's, it's a very true it's, it's very much there. And I think that the stigma behind it is going down where people say it's okay to not be okay. So I think that that is a huge move in the right direction. And then, you know, on the physically disabled side, I think thanks to, I mean, thanks to honestly, a lot of like mainstream 
media or, or certain companies that, they, you know, they are choosing to support Paralympic athletes. And you turn on the TV and you see someone who's in a wheelchair on a, on a mainstream commercial that it's like, so I think that helps change people's perception as well. So do we have, are we there yet? No, but are we moving in the right direction? Yes. In fact, we might've even seen Melissa Stockwell in one of those commercials, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> hey, you know, we weren't going to let you get away without bringing that up. Right. <laughs> well, and I, I was going to say, if we were here face to face, we'd ask you to bring samples of, of, of what you were sponsored by. So we get this <laughs> right. here. Cheer, cheers with a, with a yeah. beverage. Yeah. 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 Now that's great to hear you say that. I mean, you know, I, I think as we know, it's not a destination, it's a journey and changing that narrative. It just requires constant communication, but you know, ultimately it's that it's, it's just athletes. It's not disabled athletes. It's just athletes who want to be world-class athletes. So it's, it's yeah. great to hear that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about these athletic accomplishments. So let me see if I get this right. You swam in Rio. No, no, no. You, sorry. You swam before Rio. So Beijing. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Beijing. And then you bronze medaled in the triathlon in Rio. Yep, yep exactly. Now you're training for Tokyo 2020 slash 2021. Yeah, 2021. You got it. Okay, so take us inside the mind of an athlete. What's it like? At, what's it like training for the Olympics? Um, it's it's a commitment, um, which it, as it should be. I mean, I don't think anyone goes to the Olympic and Paralympic Games without dedicating a large portion of their life to it. So. Um, it, but it's, I mean, I, I wake up every morning. I spend the, uh, my days revolve around my training. So my son is in kindergarten. My daughter's in daycare. I drop them off in the morning. I train while they're there. I, I, I like being in, there to pick them up, but some days I, I have training and my husband goes to pick them up, but my days are very much filled with training. I, I think we mentioned earlier, I, I was out of the pool an hour ago. I have the bike right next to me to jump on as soon as we get off. So it's, um, it's a commitment. There's sacrifice. I have to, you know, when COVID isn't happening, I'm traveling for, you know, training camps and, and races and, and competitions. And it takes me away from, from my family for, you know, sometimes a week or two at a time, which I is probably my least favorite part about it. But I, I pinch myself every morning. I mean, I love it. I don't think any of us do would do this if we didn't love it. You, I mean, you can't, there's so much time and effort and it's hard. I mean, we get, I'm going to get on this bike and sweat profusely for an hour and a half here in a little bit. So like, it's not easy. Like it's not, but again, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And I think at the end of the day, you know, I want to be in the Paralympics. I want to be in Tokyo. I want to be on that podium. And when that happens, this is all worth With it. The and to have my kids American flag and to, for my kids to see the progress of it, like they know that I swim, bike and run every day. And for them to see the results of that, or, I mean, you know, hopefully it happens if it doesn't happen. Well, that's an important lesson for them as well. You work hard, maybe it doesn't happen, but that's kind of the beauty of life. You never know, you, you, but it doesn't stop you from trying. So there's so many. Yeah. This is probably a very civilian question, but is it fair to say that your military training help you prepare for your Olympic training? I think so. I mean, you learn these values in the military. There's, I mean, teamwork, my whole life is, I feel like it revolves around teamwork. Like I can't say enough good things about it, but there's things like, you know, that pride of putting on that USA uniform and knowing what it represents. I mean, I am, if I am, if I am five minutes early to a workout, I'm late. Like I'm always there on time. <laughs> I'm always, you know, like I, I finish the workout. If I'm like the, the time management, I mean, all of it, and I, tr I think that a lot of that came from, from the military. You hit on a key point is you're, you're training for something with this incredible focus 
but within the context of a pandemic. So is your normal training regime been altered? Do you train with a community of people that you can no longer do that with? And has it all, you know, been additionally challenging, affecting your motivation in any way? It just seems so hard to train with other folks in, in this current state of affairs. So we had, so I, we moved, I, I currently live in Colorado Springs and we moved out here um, in early 2019. So I could train at the Olympic training center that here in the Springs, I had this amazing facilities. Um, you know, they have a resident teammate, a dedicated coach, strength coach, nut- nutritionist, psychologist. I mean, everything you need is here. So when COVID hit all that closed and, but then the Paralympics were postponed and So it was almost like the sense of urgency wasn't there because I didn't, we didn't have to peak in August anymore. We had a whole year. So in those first couple of months, I mean, yes, we still worked out, but the intensity was brought down. My kids were home. I, my favorite part was I got to go and, you know, run along my son while he's on his bike for my workout. Like, I don't (laughs) like that kind of thing. Like I I love doing that and I don't get to do it enough. So I, I was home more than I ever was. So Um, so I, I didn't mind it. Um, and I think the postponement, I mean, I'll just put it out there. I'm 40 years old. I'm like one of the oldest competitors in my category. I'm the only, only one with a family and married. So when it's postponed a year, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I am old. How am I gonna, uh, (laughs) you know, do this for another year, but you want to see a dream through to completion. I want my kids to, I don't want them to see me giving up. So, um, pretty quickly it was like, all right, it's just another year. And my kids will be a year older for them to realize why I swim bike and run all the time. Well, well, my friend when considering that 40 is about 10 years in my rear view. Mirror, <laughs> I, I appreciate your comments, but you know, that, that hits on a key point, Melissa, is that you're, you're focused on the Paralympics as you should be, but you, you have other endeavors like your dare to try uh, organization. So, you know, what, what, what do you envision comes next for you? I mean, you, you I know you want to kind of pay it forward and m- ensure others are successful. So what, what's kind of on your radar there? I mean, that's a good question. And I, I think about it because it's going to be here quickly, right? So after Tokyo 2021, I mean, I think I'll, I'll I th- once you're an athlete, you're always an athlete. So I'll, I'll definitely yeah. continue doing athletic stuff. Um, probably not at the level I am now. I want to be more involved in my kids' school and my, you know, uh, Dare to Try is a a nonprofit out of Chicago. We get athletes with physical disabilities into the sport of triathlon. So maybe starting a chapter here in Colorado Springs. My husband and I just started a prosthetic business called Tolls Mustaquel Prosthetics here in Colorado Springs. So being more involved with that and seeing more patients um, there and making the prosthetics. So there's, it'll, and I'm continuing to speak. I do a lot of motivational speaking. So hopefully continuing as long as, as long as that lasts. So it'll, it'll still be busy. Um, It'll just be, uh, some days I think it'll be kind of nice to drop my kids off at school and I'll have to like drive immediately to the pool to jump in it. But (laughs) I'm sure when that comes, I'm going to miss it. So (laughs) mostly you just breezed over a really interesting part of your story, I think. And that's that you're a registered license. Well, okay. I'm going to pronounce it. Do it. Do it. Try it. (laughs) Prosthesist. Oh, that's a hard word. Yeah, it um, is. It, 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 I wasn't even close. It's, take, it's taken years to perfect. <laughs> yes, yeah, so a certified prosthetist, and my husband is as well. So we went to school, and um, we have a we have a uh, trade certificate uh, degree in fitting other amputees with artificial limbs. So that's actually how we met, um, and then we just opened a business here in Colorado Springs. Uh, what is that feeling like when you help someone get back on the get back on their feet, literally? Oh, it's, there's no feeling like it. I mean, that's why we do it. And 
out here, we've been able to serve, I think giving back to the veteran community just makes that it even better. And we've been able to, to see, um, you know, half a dozen veterans out here and we just opened in January. So, and with the, you imagine with, with the pandemic, it hasn't really, there was some time off there. So, um, we're just, we're still, we're definitely started, but it's still growing, but it's been great. I mean, there's no reward like seeing somebody get back up after they think that they've been put down. Yeah. Well, I have kind of a technical question then, you know, we've September 11, 2001 was a long time ago, but, um, you know, those who are, are dealing with the issues of prosthetics, how often do you run into a veteran and or a civilian that has a, I would say a reduced quality of life because they don't have the latest technology or a good fit? You know, you, you know what right looks like. How many do you run across that, that don't, don't have that right in front of them? Um, you know, I feel like technology wise that the V at least personally, and for those that I've, we've worked with, the technology is, is there like the latest and greatest advancements, um, veterans are, are fortunate to have that available to them. Um, but the fit, the fit can be the, an issue and it depends on, you know, limb, I'm talking like residual limb, like what's left of your arm or your leg, like size and shape and where it is. And there's some challenging fits out there. And sometimes we see patients and I mean, the goal is always to make it better, to make it so they can get up and walk comfortably and do the things that they want to do. And, um, you know, we think that we're pretty good at what we do and getting patients up and seeing that. And yeah, I mean, it's not uncommon to see someone and you're like, oh, it, it's like that, but we're going to, we're going to switch it around and then you're going to be a little bit better off. So, um, everyone has their way, but I, I think that we're pretty good at kind of making people comfortable. No, that that's good to hear. And I, I did, Andrew, I want to take a little bit of a pivot here. Cause I've always wanted to ask you, Melissa, you, you were part of the, the team 43 um, yes. events. And I'd love to ask you about that. However, uh, our, our president, our boss, uh, also an artist, uh, painted mm-hmm. you, and and have you ever had a chance to voice your critique of that painting? Uh, oh, you, <laughs> you know that I can never say anything but amazing things about that. Uh, I remember when I was I was so honored. I got someone called. They're like, "Oh, there's going to be this book, and you're going to be one of the paintings." And I was like, so honored to be a part of it that I mean, he kind of painted me. You know, he's dan- someone that doesn't look remotely like me, but you, it actually kind of does. Like I was kind of impressed, but I wouldn't have cared either way because yeah. I'm, I, I'm just so honored to be a part of it. Well, and you have a unique portrait in that the portrait is of you and President Bush dancing. True. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just you looking pensively like some of the others. Right. I will. That's, and that's a moment I will never forget. Definitely. And that was at the, the first W100 in Palladero Canyon in Texas, right? It was. And um, the story behind it is so that he had this country band there um, and I'm sitting next to him watching it and they start playing the song and I look over and I say, Mr. President, would you like to dance? He's like, no, no, no. Cause his, his wife, Laura Bush was on the other side of him. And then a few minutes later, someone comes up and says, Mrs. Bush, would you like to dance? And she says, okay. <laughs> so they get up and dance. And then a few seconds later, he turns to me and he's like, okay, we can dance. It was almost like he needed that, he needed that permission, which I think is, is, is great. It was, I mean, it's such a surreal, incredible moment. And then in another notable moment, you recited the Pledge of Allegiance here at the George W. Bush Presidential Center's dedication in 2013 for a live national audience and five presidents sitting right in front of you. Oh, 
Yeah, another moment. Um, standing in the room before we go up on stage and all five presidents walk into the room with their spouses. And never did I think I would be in a situation where I was like, nice to meet you, Mr. President. Nice to meet you, Mr. President. Nice to meet you, Mr. President. No one ever preps you for how you're supposed to like, like, um, you know, respond in that situation. But I just, I remember just standing up against this wall, just being like, what am I doing here? Like trying to be a fly on the wall. And, um, President Bush saw me and he came over and he introduced me as his friend to the, to the presidents of the presidents of our country. And I mean, it was, I mean, that talk about like going home that night and just exuding red, white, and blue and patriotism. I mean, that was it. I mean, how did you remember the words? Like I would have been, I would have been terrified and, and frozen up there. I know. Well, I wasn't. How many times have we said it in our lives? I mean, thousands, right? So I remember I was practicing. I'm like, why am I practicing the Pledge of Allegiance? <laughs> but you get up there and it's it's like nerve wracking. But as soon as I started, the the crowd joined in. So then it was then it was fine. Ah, uh, the power of crowds. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we've got to let you go. But before we do, we'd like to throw this closing question at our guests. What are we as a nation not talking enough about that we should be talking about? And for you also, how can vets help make sure we are talking about whatever that is? Um, you know, I th- so I think it is being talked about, but it can never be talked about enough. And I think Team 43 kind of plays into this. And it's a lot about the transition of civilian of, 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 of the military world to, to the civilian world. I still think that there's so many veterans that, that have such a hard time with it. And like, like we're moving forward with the, you know, the stigma behind PTS or, you know, of physical disability, I do think it is moving in the right direction, but I mean, I think team, I think anyone on team 43 that, you know, started as a, as a sports program, but now we are this, we had this camaraderie where it's like you show up to these sports events. It's not about the sports events. It's about that camaraderie and just, you know, getting through tough times together, just knowing that there's somebody there for you. And I just, I wish that there was, was, was more of that. Or I wish, you know, the, the workforce realized how, what an asset veterans have to their companies and what they can bring to them. So I think that, it, it, you know, some co- co- companies better than others, but I wish that there was more talk about what we can bring to a certain situation. Well, I think this conversation exemplifies what a vet will bring. It's it's an endless amount of determination and energy, and and there is no quit. Whatever that whatever the mission may look like after the service, the determination is there, and and you know that's abundantly clear from your story. Well, I think President Bush likes to say that they're national assets, and we as a nation should should leverage veterans and military families to the benefit of our communities and businesses. So. Well said, Melissa. And I did just want to say, Andrew, both Melissa and I met your requirement, which is an army person and a Marine. Oh. We, did not, we did not insult one another. So that's, that's, that's success. Well, I do have to say before you got on the call, he said, we don't need a Marine on this call. Let's get started. <laughs> so he did, well. he did say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, no lie. We, uh, um, we had, you know, to peel back the curtain, we had a 1.30 record time. I looked down at my watch. It's a, it's a few minutes after because uh, Matt's previous meeting was running a little long. And um, I was like, hey, let's let's get this show on the road. Let's truck on. Of course, that's right when he showed up. So we, we waited for him. Yeah, well, it certainly reveals I was in no way needed. But Melissa, it's always an honor to spend time with you. So, so thank you for everything you do. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. 
Read more about Melissa's journey at The Power of Choice, My Journey from Wounded Warrior to World Champion, available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other bookstores. And you can learn more about the Bush Center's W100K at www.bushcenter.org slash W100K. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you don't already, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Thank you for listening.